Book Nine, Chapter Eight of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Eight. A Hint for Debtors. Mr. Tyrold was well aware that to keep from Sir Hugh the affliction of Camilla, he must keep from him Camilla herself, for though her sighs she could suppress, and her tears disperse, her voice had lost its tone, her countenance its gaiety, her eyes no longer sparkled, her very smiles betrayed anguish. He was the last to wonder at her sufferings, for Edgar was nearly as dear to him as herself, but he knew not that, added to his annihilation of happiness her peace was consumed by her secret knowledge of the blows yet impending for himself and for her uncle concealment always abhorrent to her nature had till now been unknown even to her thoughts and its weight from a species of culpability that seemed attached to its practice was a time more dreadful to bear than the loss even of edgar himself the latter blackened every prospect of felicity, but the former still more tremendous to the pure principles in which she had been educated, seemed to strike even at her innocence. The first wish of an ingenious mind is to anticipate even inquiry. The feeling, therefore, that most heavily weighs it down is any fear of detection. While they were at breakfast the following morning, the servant brought in the name of Dr. Marchmont. Camilla felt nearly fainting. Why he was come whence whether Edgar accompanied him, or sent by him any message, whether he were returned to Beech Park, or sailed for the continent, were doubts that pressed so fast and so vehemently upon her mind, that she feared to quit the room lest she should meet Edgar in the passage, and feared still more to continue in it, lest Dr. Marshmont should enter without him. Mr. Tyrold, who participated in all her feelings, and shared the same ideas, gently committed her to Lavinia, and went into his study to the doctor. His own illusion was there quickly destroyed. The looks of Dr. Marchmont boded nothing that was happy. They wore not their customary expression. The gravity of Mr. Tyrold showed a mind prepared for ill news, if not already oppressed with it and the doctor, after a few general speeches, delivered the letter from Edgar. Mr. Tyrold received it with a secret shuddering. "'Where,' he said, "'is Mandelbert at present?' "'I believe by this time at the Hague.' This sentence, with the grieved yet still air and tone of voice which accompanied it, was death at once to every flattering hope. He immediately read the letter, which conceived in the tenderest terms of reverence and affection, took a short and simple, though touchingly respectful leave of the purposed connection, and demolished at once every distant view of future conciliation. He hung his head a moment, and sighed from the bottom of his heart, but the resignation which he summoned upon every sorrow was never deaf to his call and when he had secretly ejaculated a short and silent prayer for fortitude to his beloved wife he turned calmly to the doctor and began conversing upon other affairs 
Dr. Marchmont presumed not to manifest the commiseration with which he was filled. He saw the true Christian, enduring with humility misfortune, and the respectable parent supporting the dignity of his daughter by his own. To the first character complaint was forbidden, to the second it would have been degrading. He looked at him with veneration, but to spare further useless and painful efforts soon took leave. Mr. Tyrrell, shaking hands with him, said as they were parting, "'When you write to Mandelbert, assure him of my constant affection. The world, Dr. Marchmont, is too full of real evil for me at least to cause one moment of unnecessary uneasiness to any of its poor pilgrims. Tis strange, my dear doctor, this is not more generally considered, since the advantage would be so reciprocal from man to man.' but wrapped up in our own short moment we forget our neighbour's long hour and existence is ultimately embittered to all by the refined susceptibility for ourselves that monopolizes our feelings dr marchmont who in this last sentence construed a slight reflection upon edgar expressively answered our sensibility for others is not always dormant because not apparent how much of worth and excellence may two characters separately possess where yet there are disuniting particles which impede their harmonizing with each other mr tyrrell powerfully struck saw now the general nature of the conceptions which had caused this lamented breach he could not concur but he would not attempt to controvert opinion in this case must have even the precedence of justice if Edgar thought his daughter of a disposition with which his own could not sympathize, it were vain to expatiate upon her virtues or her sweetness, that one doubt previously taken might mar their assimilating efficiency. Comprehending, therefore, the cause at large, he desired no detail. The words of Dr. Marchmont, though decisive, were not offensive and they parted perfect friends, each perceiving, yet forgiving, that each cast upon the other the error of false reasoning, Edgar to the one, and Camilla to the other, appearing faultless in the separation. But not in the tasks which succeeded were their offices as easily to be compared. Dr. Marchmont wrote to Edgar that all was quietly relinquished, and his measures were honorably acquitted while Mr. Tyrrell, shut up in his study, spent there some of the severest minutes of his life, in struggling for the equanimity he coveted to pronounce to his daughter this last doom. Pity for her suspense accelerated his efforts, and he then sent for her downstairs. His utmost composure in such an interview was highly necessary for both. The pale and trembling Camilla advanced with downcast eyes, but when he took her in his arms and kissed her a sudden ray of hope shot across her quick imagination and she looked up an instant was now sufficient to rectify her mistake the tenderness of her father wore no air of congratulation it was the mere offspring of compassion and the woe with which it was mixed though mild though patient was too potent to require words for explanation the glance sufficed, her head dropped, her tears in torrents bathed his bosom, and she retired to Lavinia, while yet neither of them had spoken. Mr. Tyrrell, contented with virtuous exertions, demanded not impossibilities. He left to nature that first grief, 
which too early exhortation or control rather inflames than appeases he then brought her back to his apartment he conjured her there to remember that she grieved not alone that where the tears flowed not so fast from the eyes the sources were not dry whence they sprung and that bridal sorrow was sometimes the most suffering alas my dearest father to think you mourn too and for me will that lessen what i feel yes my dear child by a generous duty it will point out to watch that the excess of one affliction involve you not in another what a motive she answered for exertion if the smallest part of your happiness of my honoured mother's depends upon mine i shall be unhappy i think no more a gush of tears ill accorded with this fond declaration but mr tyrold without noticing them kindly replied let your filial affection my child check the inordency of your affliction and i will accept with pleasure for your virtuous mother and with thanks for myself the exertion which beginning for our sakes may lead you to that self-denial which is the parent of our best human actions and approximates us the most to what is divine broken-hearted as was camilla her sorrows would at least apparently have abated from consolation so tender if all she felt had been known if no latent and lurking evil had hung upon her spirits defeating all argument and blighting all comfort by the cruel consciousness of concealed mischief which while incessantly she studied the best moment for revealing accident might prematurely betray upon this subject her thoughts were unremittingly bent till in a few days time she received a letter from mrs mitten informing her she had just seen the money-lender mr clykes who finding her so much under age would not undertake the business for less than ten per cent nor without a free premium of at least twenty pounds the latter demand so entirely out of her power to grant gave to her the mental strength she had yet sought in vain and determining to end this baneful secret she seized her own first moment of emotion to relate to her father the whole of her distress and cast herself upon his mercy i shall be happier she cried much happier as with tottering steps she hurried to the study he will be lenient i know and even if not what displeasure can i incur so severe as the eternal apprehension of doing wrong but her plan though well formed had fixed upon an ill-timed moment for its execution she entered the room with an agitation which rather sought than shunned remark that some inquiry might make an opening for her confession but mr tyrold was intently reading a letter and examining some papers from which he raised not his eyes at her approach she stood fearfully before him till he had done but then still not looking up he leant his head upon his hand with a countenance so disturbed that alarmed from her design by the apprehension he had received some ill tidings from lisbon she asked in a faint voice if the foreign post were come in i hope not he answered i should look with pain at this moment upon the hand of your unhappy mother camilla affrighted knew not what to conjecture 
but gliding into her pocket the letter of Mrs. Smitten stood suspended from her purpose. "'What a reception,' he presently added, "'is preparing for that noblest of women when her exile may end. That epoch to which I have looked forward as the brightener of my every view upon earth, how is it now clouded?' Giving her then the letter and papers. "'The sun,' he said, who once I had hoped would prove the guardian of his sisters, the honor of his mother's days, the future prop of my own. See, Camilla, on how sandy a foundation mortal man builds mortal hopes. The letter was from a very respectable tradesman, containing a complaint that, for the three years Lionel had been at the university, he had never paid one bill though he continually ordered new articles and begging mr tyrold would have the goodness to settle the accounts he enclosed the young gentleman after fixing a day for payment having suddenly absconded without notice to any one the sum you see continued mr tyrold amounts to one hundred and seventy one pounds a sum for my income enormous the allowance i made this cruel boy was not only adequate to all his proper wants and reasonable desires but all i could afford without distressing myself or injuring my other children yet it has served him i imagine but for pocket money the immense sums he has extorted from both his uncles must have been swallowed up at a gaming-table into what wretched courses has he run these bills large as they are i regard but as forerunners of others all he has received he has squandered upon his vices and to-morrow and the next day and the next i may expect an increasing list of his debts from his hatter his hosier his shoemaker his tailor and whoever he has employed camilla overwhelmed with internal shame yet more powerful than grief itself stood motionless these expenses appeared but like a second part of her own with her milliner her jeweller and her haberdasher which now seemed to herself not less wanton in extravagance surprised by her entire silence mr tyrrell looked up her cheeks rather livid than pale and the deep dismay of her countenance extremely affected him the kindness of his embraces relieved her by melting her into tears though the speech which accompanied them was to her consciousness but reproach let not your sisterly feelings thus subdue you my dearest camilla be comforted that you have given us no affliction yourself say what we must feel for your own undeservedly altered prospects no unthinking imprudence no unfeeling selfishness has ever for an instant driven from your thoughts what you owe to your duty or weakened your pleasure in every endearing filial tie let this cheer you my child and let us all try to submit calmly to our general disappointment praise thus ill-timed rather probed than healed her wounds am i punished am i punished she internally exclaimed but could not bear to meet the eyes of her father whose indulgence she felt as if abusing and whose good opinion seemed now but a delusion again he made her over to the gentle lavinia for comfort and fearing serious ill effects from added misery 
exerted himself from this time to appear cheerful when she was present. His predictions failed not to be fulfilled. The application made by one creditor soon reached every other, and urged similar measures. Bills, therefore, came in daily, with petitions for payment, and as Lionel still wanted a month or two of being of age, his creditors depended with confidence upon the responsibility of his father. Nor here closed the claims springing from general ill-conduct. Two young men of fashion, hard-pressed for their own failures, stated to Mr. Tyrrell the depths of honour owing them from Lionel, and three notorious gamesters, who had drawn in the unthinking youth to his ruin, enforced the same information, with a hint that, if they were left unsatisfied, the credit of the young man would fall the sacrifice of their ill-treatment. The absence of Mrs. Tyrold at this period, by sparing her daily difficulty as well as pain, was rejoiced in by her husband, though never so strongly had he wanted her aiding counsel, her equal interest, and her consoling participation. Obliged to act without them, his deliberation was short and decisive for his measures, but long and painful for their means of execution. He at once determined to pay, though for the last time, all the tradespeople, but the manner of obtaining the money required more consideration. The bills, when all collected, amounted to something above five hundred pounds, which was but one hundred short of his full yearly income. Of this he had always contrived to lay by an hundred pounds annually, which sum, with its accumulating interest, was destined to be divided between Lavinia and Camilla. Eugenia required nothing, and Lionel was to inherit the paternal little fortune. The portion of Mrs. Tyrold, which was small, the estate of her father having been almost all entailed upon Mr. Relville, was to be divided equally amongst her children. To take from the little hoard which, with so tender a care, he had heaped for the daughters, so large a share for the son, and to answer demands so unduly raised and ill-deserved, was repulsive to his inclination, and shocked his strong sense of equal justice. To apply to Mr. Relville would be preposterous, for though upon him dwelt all his ultimate hopes for Lionel, he knew him at this moment to be so suffering, and so irritated by his means, that to hear of any new misdemeanours might incense him to an irrevocable disinheritance. With regard to Sir Hugh, nothing was too much to expect from his generous kindness, yet he knew his bountiful heart had always kept his income from overflowing, and that for three years past Lionel had drained it without mercy. His preparations also for the double marriages had, of late, much straightened him. To take up even the smallest part of what, in less expensive times, he had laid by, he would regard as a breach of his solemn vow, by which he imagined himself bound to leave Eugenia the full property she would have possessed, had he died instantly upon making it. Reason might have shown this a tie of supererogation, but where any man conceived himself obeying the dictates of his conscience, Mr. Tyrold held his motives too sacred for dispute. The painful result of this afflicting mediation was laying before his daughters the whole of his difficulties, 
and demanding if they would willingly concur in paying their brother's bills from their appropriate little store by adopting an altered plan of life and severe self-denial of their present ease and elegance to aid its speedy replacement their satisfaction in any expedient to serve their brother that seemed to fall upon themselves was sincere was even joyful but they jointly besought that the sum might be freely taken up and deducted for evermore from the hoard since no earthly gratification could be so great to them as contributing their might to prevent any deprivation of domestic enjoyment to their beloved parents his eyes glistened but not from grief it was the pleasure of virtuous happiness in their purity of filial affection but though he knew their sincerity he would not listen to their petition you are not yet said he aware what your future calls may be for money what i have yet been able to save without this unexpected seizure would be inadequate to your even decent maintenance should any accident stop short its increase weep not my dear children my health is still good and my prospect of lengthened life seems fair it would be however a temporal folly as well as a spiritual presumption to forget the precarious tenure of human existence my life my dear girls will be happier without being shorter for making provisions for its worldly cessation but sir but my father cried camilla hanging over him and losing in filial tenderness of personal distresses if your manner of living is altered and my dear mother returns home and sees you relinquishing any of your small your temperate indulgences may it not yet more embitter her sufferings and her displeasure for the unhappy cause for her sake then if not for ours do not turn away dearest sir cried lavinia what mother ever merited to have her peace the first study of her children if it is not ours oh providence benigne said mr tyrold folding them to his heart how am i yet blessed in my children true and excellent daughters of my invaluable wife this little narration is the solace i shall have to offer for the grief i must communicate he would not however hearken to their proposition his peace he said required not only immediate measures for replacing what he must borrow but also that no chasm should have lieu in founding his usual annual sum for them all he would accept was the same severe forbearance he should instantly practise himself and which their mother when restored to them would be the first to adopt and improve and this till its end was answered they would all steadily continue and then with cheerful self-approvance resume their wonted comforts mr tyrold had too frequent views of the brevity of human life to postpone even from one son to another any action he deemed essential a new general system therefore immediately pervaded his house two of the servants with whom he best could dispense were discharged which hurt him more than any other privation for he loved and was loved by every domestic who lived with him his table always simple though elegant was now reduced to plain necessaries he parted with every horse but one to whose long services he held himself a debtor 
and whatever throughout the whole economy of his small establishment admitted simplifying deducting or abolishment received without delays its requisite alteration or dismission these new regulations were quietly but completely put in practice before he would discharge one bill for his son to whom nevertheless though his conduct was strict his feelings were still lenient he attributed it not to moral turpitude his errors nor his crimes but to prevalence of ill example and to an unjustifiable and dangerous levity which irresistibly led him to treat with mockery and trifling the most serious subjects the punishment however which he had now drawn upon himself would yet he hoped touch his heart but the depths called depths of honour met not with similar treatment he answered with spirited resentment demands he deemed highly flagitious counselling those who sent them when next they applied to an unhappy family to whose calamities they had contributed to inquire first if its principles as well as its fortune made the hazards of gaming amongst its domestic responsibilities End of chapter eight read by Lars Rolander